our preview series, we're on to the AFC West, our third division out of the eight so far, and can't start the AFC West without the Kansas City Chiefs, the remaining champions, the team that's been in the AFC Championship the past four seasons, won the AFC Championship twice in the past four, and won a Super Bowl once in the past four, and some people think that's a disappointment, and I think you could obviously you know, agree with that when you look at Patrick Mahomes in the Kansas City Chiefs at home over the Bengals, I think it was 21 to three right before the half. And um, <clears throat> the play that really set into the second half when they threw the ball to Tyree Kill on the swing route, they didn't have enough timeouts or they didn't have any timeouts, so they couldn't get a second playoff. It was really questionable. There were questions about who was, you know, inputting the play, where was Mahomes getting the right call? A lot of questions going back to Eric Bieniemy because a lot of people have been saying, "Why hasn't Eric Bieniemy been getting a head coaching job?" Doug Peterson was the Chiefs' head, you know, OC and gets a head coaching job. Matt Nagy goes the same route, and Eric Bieniemy is here for the Mahomes success, and he doesn't get any of the credit that those guys were getting for the Alex Smith success. And a lot of people, you know, are saying, "Well, Mahomes is carrying Bieniemy in some ways," and some people are saying that during that situation there was a communication breakdown, and they've said that. When Bienemy was the head coach at Colorado, first off, he had a bunch of um, personal off-the-field issues and things of that nature. And then he goes uh, – in this situation, they said there were also communication issues. He would get delay of games, things like that where he just couldn't get the you know play in in time. And they were saying that Andy Reid – typically does this, you know, at sometimes at different portions throughout or during the game, you know, hands the reins over to Eric Bieniemy, so then he can tell people at these owner meetings, yeah, I'm giving Bieniemy the play calling, you know, hire Bieniemy, you can hire Bieniemy, because really what he wanted to do was promote Mike Kafka, the quarterback's coach, who he's now the New York Giants offensive coordinator, because he's hoping to get a head coaching job next year, and, you know, the thought was for a while that, well, Bieniemy will get a head coaching job, Kafka will step up, and Kafka will get a head coaching job, and then it's the next, you know, quarterback that he drafts. I'm sure Clayton Thorson will be there, you know, in a couple years or something along those lines. So you talk about it like that. But either way, there is a fact that Matt Nagy is now hired as the quarterback's coach. Eric Bieniemy is the offensive coordinator. People don't like Matt Nagy because of how things transpired with the Chicago Bears. He was in a tough spot, and I mean, he didn't do very well with Justin Fields. But it's obvious they like him in Kansas City. There's talk that the Chiefs... They've been pushing to get Eric Bieniemy hired for a long time, not only to keep the cycle moving, but I think that there are some things that some of these issues, the communication issues, the the small little details, I think Reed and Mahomes are a little bit advanced on Bieniemy on that, and I think Reed has always looked at Matt Nagy like a son, and he's you know really taken him under his wing, and I think Reed thinks that he got a really raw deal in Chicago, and there's been rumors that. They want, when Andy Reid retires, they want Matt Nagy to be the head coach, so they want Biennemi to get out of there. Biennemi was a free agent this offseason, and there was a long period, I want to say it was from January you know, through February, really, uh, uh, once the season ended, kind of just a, a couple weeks there, where a lot of these reports were being leaked, where they were talking about, um, and I know some of it was unsubstantiated, and some of it was hearsay, like I said, um, a lot of the reports that there was a a rift at halftime between Mahomes and Bienemy, and um, and Mahomes just showed up in the second half. You know, seeming like 
like he got in a fight with somebody, you know, during halftime and kind of came out kind of shell-shocked or something along those lines. And there was talk about that. And then Biennemi lingered out there as unsigned but wasn't getting head coaching opportunities because the reports are he fails every single interview. And it's not just, you know, it's fair to say that black people are not getting the right opportunities. It's also fair to say in Eric Biennemi's case, he's not as qualified as even, I think, Raheem Morris is somebody who's not getting the fair opportunity. I don't know if Eric Bieniemy, you know, so it's hard. You can't just say all black people because then you're not helping all black people just by saying all black people are the same. You know, that's not helping anybody it's by saying all black people should get hired and saying all black people shouldn't get hired. Both of those are racism, and that's not where we're trying to go with this podcast. But either way, Bieniemy hasn't been hired. I think for specific reasons and I think he's back on what is essentially a lame duck year because they signed him on a one-year deal almost because the rumors were starting to get really hot and it was starting to almost look bad for the Kansas City Chiefs that they were kind of dragging the enemy out there while he doesn't have a job so they're bringing him back to try and rehabilitate his job and then hopefully Matt Nagy will be the offensive coordinator for what you know two more seasons and then Andy Reid retires and they bump Nagy up all of this is obviously speculation, but I think it has to lead into some of the questions and some of the turnover and some of the thought that it's true that, like I said, when you win one Super Bowl out of you've been to four AFC championships, you only win two AFC championships, you really should have won that third. I think they looked at it and said, between obviously Mahomes is here forever, and you know, we have like the big three, you know, uh, basically our Pippin, uh, Rodman, and uh, Jordan and kind of said, okay, we have to decide which one's Pippen and which one's, you know, Rodman kind of, you know, which one is that second valuable between Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill. And everyone kind of says, well, they sold maybe a year or two too early, but if you sell a year or two too late, or if you sell at the right time, you're not getting the correct, you know, capital that you're getting on him. And I've talked about it on another podcast, not only when you get the first round picks for Tyreek Hill, or it's a first round pick and then a couple other scraps and things like that, but to save the $30 million, you can start to reshape your team in a lot of different ways because the picks and the money start to offset things. So I think the Chiefs looked at it and said, we have Mahomes for the next 10 years. We can run Kelsey and Hill into the ground the next two seasons, and then we just completely rebuild it. Or we can rebuild this thing on the fly. We can take this season, and that's what I'm saying with this Biennemi stuff. It almost feels like a reset season. Let's reset this thing, and then we can really, all of a sudden, now we're right back into it. I think this team's still going to obviously be very good with Patrick Mahomes at the helm. And I think as we're going to start to get into, some of the pieces, when they lost Tyree Kill, some of the pieces they added beyond wide receiver. Everyone's going to say, well, what do you do with wide receiver? But if they extend, I know... Uh, Orlando's on the franchise tag if they extend Orlando Brown this offseason all of a sudden that starts to say well if you get a big time left tackle that changes things and you know Valdez Scantling's 10 million dollars Sky Moore's super cheap we're going to kind of talk about these guys as yeah I mean to get into it Patrick Mahomes is basically the quarterback two or three in fantasy I don't even have to talk about him really that much like I said you've seen him he's going to because he's on your team, that's where you say how much of it is a rebuild and how much of it is he's going to keep them afloat and they could content, potentially stay in it. So if they're deeper, if they're not as top-heavy and they're deeper, is that potentially setting them up not only to stay relevant this season but to continue to stay relevant for the next X amount of years? So I know there was a little portion of the season last season and it almost felt like he was pressing and there was a lot of talk about the cover two stuff and he started to take what the defense was giving him and that's what helped them get back to the AFC Championship. There's still some questions about 
Sometimes he feels like he has to put it all on himself. I think a lot of that has to do with when you did take away Tyreek and Kelsey, he did have to put too much on himself because there weren't enough other skill players. And now they're saying, okay, like I keep saying, okay, Juju, Valdez, Scantling, and Sky Moore, none of them are better than Tyreek Hill. But when your second, third, and fourth receiver are all better than your second, third, and fourth receiver were last season, and your number one receiver takes a hit, then you do kind of say, okay, this isn't as necessarily as bad of an issue as they are. And I know the Packers are doing something similar. I think the Chiefs did a little bit better with how um, maybe it's just the particular prospects that I like and players that I like. So we'll get into it, I guess, technically with that. Like I said, well, Mahomes is the quarterback two or the quarterback three, and I say in fantasy you can decide rather easily because for the most part, Keenan Allen and Mike Williams go ahead of Mahomes and Justin Herbert, and Herbert, I mean, you could say, I think actually think Lamar Jackson you should probably put as quarterback two, and then you say three and four for these guys. Either way, Mike Williams and Keenan Allen go ahead of these two. I have them interlocked, and I say if you're able to get Keenan Allen and Mike Williams, then you probably take Herbert. Otherwise, you probably take Mahomes. Holmes, because then it can set you up to take, like I said, getting into the wide receivers. The two that I end up taking all the time are Marquez Valdez, Scantling, and Sky Moore, both of them around pick 100. When you take Mahomes, especially if you're picking like 12th or something along those lines, you take Mahomes at the end of the round, and then you come back a few rounds later, and you can double tap these two. It doesn't work in managed leagues and things like that, but it really works in best ball, which is what everyone does over the summer anyways, because then you don't check the leagues, check back at the end of the season, and you say, you know, yeah, any week that Valdez caught a big one or any week that Sky Moore was getting peppered with targets, and I think that's the moral of what they're trying to get out of these two is to kind of take a little bit of both of what Tyreek Hill brings, and that is that um, – Sky Moore is much shiftier, much better yards after the catch, much better with the ball in his hands. I think they can run uh, the reverses to him. I kind of said it before that um, between the 20s, they use Tyreek Hill to stretch the field vertically, and inside the 20s, they use him to stretch the field horizontally. I think Sky Moore can be the guy who can stretch the field horizontally in that way. So there is a chance that Sky Moore in his rookie season, and that's one of the issues. And the other thing, he is five foot nine, but his, he has the biggest hands in the whole entire wide receiver class. So um, he's a little bit shorter. He's probably, I think he can play in that Z role, but he's probably going to shift into the slot often, which is where Tyreek Hill played. But like I said, a lot of the jet sweeps and horizontal things and the quick targets to where, like I was saying, when you go, uh, when defenses go cover two, they're typically letting everything and stay in front of them and hoping to tackle the catch. So you get a guy like Sky Moore in there and he can do things after the catch and be creative after the catch. What you do with Marquez Valdez scaling is the thing that, okay, can Sky Moore, you know, stack guys? Can he get deep? All those things. Valdez scaling is your deep receiver. Um, that's basically, you know, drops in, He's really inconsistent with routes, and you know he only gets open so many times because he's only running the go route. But when he hits that go route, you're getting a 60-yard touchdown. When you have a guy like Patrick Mahomes, and when you have some of the other pieces and the creativity, you know if Kelsey and Sky Moore are getting this cover two defense to start creeping up because Mahomes is just peppering, 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 taking what's given, taking what's given, taking what's given. All of a sudden, you pop off with Valdez Scantling, and that's why those two are the most uh, intriguing to buy. Juju Smith-Schuster, I think in the mo for the most part, it's going to be three wide receiver sets, and you'd assume, especially because Valdez Scantling is actually a pretty good blocker, that he'll step into the X. And then I think at times you put Sky Moore in the Z because you can move him, and then you put Juju in his natural space in the slot. The issue that I have with Juju in the slot is if he can't take the top off, then he's in Travis Kelsey's you know area of the field, and I just think that there's more 
areas of the field for Valdez Scaling and Sky Moore to get productivity and without competing with Travis Kelsey, whereas Juju's going to be competing with Travis Kelsey. And there's a serious possibility that Juju hurt his knee. He's still like 25 years old or something like that. He's like uh, five months older than uh, Vellis Jones, who the Bears just drafted this season. He's barely older than that kid. I think they were at USC together at one point in their careers, which just seems crazy, but that's true. And that's where Juju is. So there's a chance that with the knee injuries, with Ben Roethlisberger, that Juju's actually a lot better. And he, he's potentially a steal here. I think that I just kind of, I bet on Juju one year and then the knee injuries kind of hit him. And it's just been hard to get, you know, consistently into him because the quarterbacks and the knees haven't been there. And obviously now with Mahomes, but like I said, when Juju doesn't get as much money as Valdez Scantling, and then they take a second-round pick in Sky Moore, who could potentially, if they keep Meikle Hardman, who they only drafted because they didn't trust Tyree Kill, and that's where everyone keeps saying, you know, how do you get rid of Tyree Kill? And I'm like, how much do they trust him as a person? You know, before any, before we get anything into, oh, is his speed going to decline this or that? Or are they just saying, let's get out of these Tyree Kill sweepstakes now because you know we don't trust him as a human being so that's a thought but then they, that's why they drafted me hardman it was a terrible pick uh, i think they took him over dk metcalf really stupid he's just, all he is is fast and he's like he's not good with the ball in his hands he's not a good route runner um him mahomes in the super bowl against the bucks was just so frustrated because he couldn't branch off of routes and during the scramble drill he was nowhere to be seen he doesn't have strong hands so i don't draft him at all and you know josh gordon things like that you know i'm not even excited i know there's some talk about justin watson who's another power slot and that's another reason that juju just doesn't have the commitment from the coaching staff whereas like i said sky Moore and even valdez scantling one because he's a big play threat and two because he actually did get more money than juju smith schuster travis kelsey I know some people are saying that um, Mark Andrews could be the tight end one, and I think I at least get to the point where I used to take Travis Kelsey all the time in that first round. I just don't really take him anymore. You know, he's 33 years old. I think you started to see at times some of the funk in the offense was him just being a, a start a step slower. I think when you can get, you know, 10 really good games out of him, but I don't think you can get a, just a full season of him being on a complete other level. He's 33 years old. If he gets 1,000 yards this season, which he's done, you know, every year since 2016, it'll be the first time a 33-year-old tight end has ever recorded 1,000 yards in a season. And obviously he should be the first one. But I think he's coming off of like 1,400 yards. So even 1,000 yards would be a disappointment for him. So it is easy to get off of him. Um, Blake Bell is more of the blocking type, even though he was a former quarterback. Noah Gray's more of a move tight end. Fortson, more of a uh, – he is kind of the backup to Travis Kelsey in that regard. But either way, yeah, I don't really take Travis Kelsey, and it does come down to when I take Mahomes early, you get the Valdez, Scantling, and Sky Moore on your best ball stacks. And that's for the most part where I'm going with it. And early on, I was taking Clyde Edwards Hilaire, at least when he fell to certain spots, um, kind of bring up the running back rankings. But one of, and one of the issues was last season he had, uh, I think it was a gallbladder surgery, and he ended up losing a ton of weight. And that wasn't reported, so a lot of people didn't know that when he was getting drafted a lot higher. And people were thinking, this is a first-round pick, but now this is a first-round pick entering year three. He's never been trusted in pass protection. He's been a complete minus at the goal line. He doesn't have long speed. He's only good in those little jukes and things of that nature so when you look at him you say that you think you know guys like A.J. Dillon are probably more enticing Miles Sanders more enticing Antonio Gibson more enticing obviously Brees Hall much more enticing and that's J.K. Dobbins even more enticing coming off the injury it was probably it was the better prospect coming out of college so that's where it's really hard to take Clyde Edwards Solaire and the other thing is that Ronald Jones Jarek McKinnon 
uh, Derek Gore was ripping off big runs last season, and you were saying, Jesus, you know, guy that you just found off off the scrap heap is much better than Clyde Edwards-Hilaire at this point in his career. And then Isaiah Pacheco, a seventh-round pick, a kid that I drafted in Dynasty, has some of those Jarek McKinnon qualities to him. So you look at Jarek McKinnon, and you say that he's the fast guy. He's the home run punch. He can catch passes. Um, and all of that, he's typically, uh, he got like dead legs and he can only go for so long before getting injured. He's just been so banged up. And that's where I think Pacheco comes in is the insurance. And then Ronald Jones is the goal line guy. He's the guy that's going to get those short yardage touchdowns. And it leaves Quad Edwards Hilaire in a really gross spot where he's going to get, you know, 10 carries for 50 yards and, you know, one catch for five yards. And that's all he's going to get. And that's where you don't want him whatsoever. You know, before McKinnon signed, you could say maybe he's going to catch a, a few more passes you know, before Ronald Jones, you thought maybe they don't re-sign, you know, Daryl Williams and he gets the goal line work. If he's getting none of that, then there isn't enough to invest into in fantasy football. And that is where, like I said, at least McKinnon and Ronald Jones go late enough to where you can take flyers on them. Isaiah Pacheco goes real late, even in dynasty drafts to where you can take flyers. And the thing is that the Chiefs, despite the fact that, okay, you know, have lost a lot of their allure. When you look at their offensive line, like I kind of said, that's the thing that they rebuilt almost overnight in 2021. You think of um, four players between Orlando Brown, their left tackles on the franchise tag, Joe Thune, who's one of the highest paid guards. They signed him for big money from New England. Creed Humphrey, the basic one of the best rookies in the NFL last season, rookie of the year potential at center in the second round. They stole Trey Smith in the sixth round because he had a heart issue, and all of a sudden he's their starting right guard. And then they have uh, Andrew Wiley and Lucas Nyang, who um, just hasn't been able to get on the field, but Andrew Wiley is going to be the starter there. They drafted Darian Kennard in the fifth round. Um, I think he may be better off at guard, but he's going to get the shot at right tackle to compete with Wiley. So, I mean, you look at this offensive line and say, between the offensive line, between Patrick Mahomes starting to slow things down last season and not play as much hero ball, especially towards the playoffs, and then obviously, like I said, it started to fall apart, but I think some of that did have to do with they just didn't have the depth to where when the Bengals were playing uh, rush three, drop eight, they and all of a sudden Tyreek and uh, Kelsey are both bracketed. No, who else is shaking free? You know, what else is shaking free? Okay, if you have Valdez scaling over the top and you have Kelsey bracketed, now you have Juju and now you have Sky Moore. And now, you know, Meikle's still Meikle, <laughs> but still, like now, at least you have the depth in that regard. And that's what I think the Chiefs were absolutely going for this offseason. And then, like I kind of said, the other thing that really is going to help them potentially is their defense. And what they did with their defense was, first off, they traded up for the cornerback, but then they let George Loftus fall to them. And I thought that was a great pick. Um, I love Karloftis in this defense to where he's going to play that wide 9-4-3 similar to, you know, the Jason Peter Paul on that edge rush where, you know, he can stick up tackles and things like that. And the way he uses his length and his, um, yeah, really his length to stick up tackles and his strength to be able to get through them and his hand usage to where he's, I think he's going to be really productive in this defense first off as an edge setter. And I think a lot of the per, the issues at Purdue in terms of production, I think are going to be overblown, especially when he's in a perfect fit in this scheme. Frank Clark is going to be a serious issue. Um, people are talking about, uh, I don't think he showed up to OTAs. He's had, you know, 
every every year he ends up producing by the end of the season, but it's never as pretty as it looks on paper. It's too much cleanup this, too much cleanup that, um, not enough consistently being on the field, too many injuries, nicks and cuts and things like that. So you think that the potential is that if you have a guy like Karloftis across from him, they haven't had that real guy who's been able to really be a, like a power player like that. You know, Typically he would be the power and they have like a speed guy across from him. To have both that sort of power on both sides could be really good. Um, some of the depths that they drafted uh, last offseason was uh, Josh Kando from Florida State. He's going to hope to extend into a role. Uh, Mike Dana is kind of an inside-outside guy. Uh, the, Chris Jones at times was playing on the outside last season. I think you could see that at times this season as well. And I think Karloftis can move around too. So I think that they can do a lot of things. And then, yeah, you get to that interior. Chris Jones really is in that group that I think I kind of said with uh, one of the other people that um, – there's obviously Aaron Donald, but then in that tier right below him with Cameron Hayward and Chris Jones and DeForest Buckner, I think was, I was talking about, those three are kind of in a tier together. Um, Derek Naughty didn't have much of a market this offseason, ended up re-signing. He's a nose tackle. Tashawn Wharton, really a, just a space clogger. Taylor Stallworth, just a space clogger. Kalen Saunders was supposed to be a little bit more, but hasn't been there, and that's where they tried to move Chris Jones to the outside, but they realized they don't have enough of the interior help here and that Chris Jones isn't as effective on the outside. So you draft Karloftis, you put Chris Jones right back to where he's wreaking havoc again. And really, I mean, they don't have the depth that's there, but between uh, Karloftis and Chris Jones, Naughty and Frank Clark are solid enough that, like I kind of said, the ability to not only lose Tyreek Hill, but then you lose Tyreek Hill, you improve your two through four receivers. You know, you lose your number one receiver, but you improve in your depth at receiver, but then you add a you know a guy like Karloftis to the defensive line is pretty valuable. Move to the linebackers. It seems like they're going with their draft picks here, Nick Bolton and Willie Gay. I think both of them have some questions, especially Nick Bolton uh, more in coverage. I think Willie Gay sometimes more in maturity and things like that, and uh, more staying on the field. But also I think some of his run fits and things. So you say, okay, Nick Bolton can play the run. Willie Gay can play the pass. Leo Chanel, I really liked him as a third-round pick. I heard he's getting picked on in coverage. He just didn't get asked to play coverage at Wisconsin very often. You know, he's a Big Ten linebacker through and through. He can shed blocks. He can blitz. When you say that, um, for the most part, Nick Bolton would be your Mike, Willie Gay would be your Will, put Leo Chanel in the Sam, have him blitz, have him take on blockers. I think that there's obviously enough depth there. And then some of the – Jermaine Carter brings depth. Mike Rose is a UDFA. I think some of the questions with the Chiefs' defense is depth. But when you look at them overall on paper, you say, you know, Nick Bolton should be in year two. If Willie Gay can mature in year three, Leo Chenal's in his rookie season. They have a rookie in Karloftis. So, you know, if they can turn – somehow get younger from the Frank Clark spot by next season. That's where, like I kind of said, maybe this is a transition season, but I don't think like they're going to be bad. First of all, I don't think that they're, you know, when they get out of this transition, I think it's going to be like, they're going to be set up to compete next season. And then you look into their secondary and the big thing, they're missing the honey badger, but in they paid Justin Reed, what honey badger wanted to get paid and what just, you know, honey badger couldn't get paid on an open market is what Justin Reed got. So, and in getting Justin Reed, he's, what, seven years younger, and he's a former – or he wasn't a former first-round pick. He was a third-round pick, I think. But either way, Justin Reed, um, pretty good player. You look at the Steelers drafted Terrell Edmonds over Justin Reed, and when you look at their contracts and you look at the difference of what the Chiefs are paying him versus what the Steelers just got Terrell Edmonds for, you can see one of them had a market this offseason and one of them did not. So 
you add in Juan Thornhill, you know, you keep expecting him to break out, you know, hit his stride, become that guy that could be a versatile safety. And especially now that Justin Reed's a versatile safety, um, he tore his ACL, I think it was late into his rookie season, really got off to a rocky start into his second season. Now he's entering year four and, you know, it's, it's like kind of a make or break season here. Um, because they all, this is a position where they actually have depth. They drafted Brian Cook in the second round. I thought he was a really key integral piece of that Cincinnati defense. I think there's there's going to be somebody overrated. And I think some of the, I think Majai Sanders is overrated on that Cincinnati defense. Um, and I think Kobe Bryant's probably overrated. So I mean, uh, Darian Beavers, Brian Cook, and Sauce Gardner are probably my three favorite guys on the Cincinnati defense. So Brian Cook could eventually step into a strong safety role put Justin Reed in the free safety role, and then, yeah, maybe Juan Thornhill potentially walks this offseason or, you know, finds a finds just a secondary type of role. But I think he could potentially walk and hope to find a better better place next season than De- because Deion Jones played dime for the Chicago Bears and did it pretty well in the way that the Chiefs signed him. It seems like they want him in that dime role. So you look at their safeties and say, yeah, I mean, Thornhill, Reed, Cook, and Bush – if Thornhill goes next year, it's going to be Reed, Cook, and Bush in the dime, and then they add you know a fourth safety for depth. And I think right now you look at Brian Cook. I think he's coming off an injury. You say okay, second round pick, but he can step in and be the fourth safety, and that's all we need to ask of him. That's a great development path. When Jerry Sneed can play inside and outside, defend guys in different ways, and so can Trent McDuffie now, who they traded up for in the first round of draft. So between them, you know, Sneed's a little bit longer. McDuffie has the shorter arms. Um, but McDuffie's a little bit quick-footed. Um, Snead is quick-footed, but he's faster, I'd say, with the long speed. So I think they can mix and match, and they can move either one into the slot if necessary uh, because they only have Rashad Fenton as their slot corner. And then you know DeAndre Baker, who knows? He's probably you know a nobody because of his past history. But then they drafted Joshua Williams in the fourth round, a small school kid. They traded for Lonnie Johnson, who was a safety, but the Texans were just screwing with him. He should be a cornerback. And he's the long outside cornerback who, like I said, if you could move Snead or McDuffie into the slot, perhaps he steps in as that outside corner and then Fenton's the slot corner when they just want Fenton in the slot. So they can do versatile things with their cornerbacks. And that's where I keep saying, when you get a rookie contract, in Trent McDuffie, cornerback. Cornerbacks are making twenty million, and you get a rookie contract. George Karloftis, edge rusher. Edge rushers are making you know twenty five million, so you get a rookie contract. Sky Moore, receivers are making twenty something million, you get a rookie contract. To turn to get three value positions like that, and to flip their salary to where now they can spend next off season, and if they get more value off season, next uh, next off season they get more draft picks. Now almost that's where I, like I said in one swift trade of Tyree Kill. They were able to flip the books completely because now they have premium positions, wide receiver, edge rusher, cornerback, that they don't have to pay big time. So I really like where the Chiefs are going. I don't know this season, but like I said, when you're Patrick Mahomes, you almost guarantee yourself for 10 wins, even in this crazy division. I have them for 10.4 wins through 10 projections. Their win total is 10.5, so I don't have much for you there other than the fantasy notes. All right, on to the next team. It is the Denver Broncos, and they're the obvious team that everyone keeps comparing to. Tom Brady goes to Tampa Bay and wins a Super Bowl. Matthew Stafford goes to the Rams, wins a Super Bowl. Are Russell Wilson and the Denver Broncos the team here? Potentially, Wilson's coming into a pretty good team. A first-year head coach, Nathaniel Hackett. I was, I, I'm interested to give Nathaniel Hackett a chance as a head coach. We obviously don't know. When he was with Green Bay, Aaron Rodgers praised him. How much of it was him? How much of it was LaFleur? 
everyone keeps saying because Nathaniel Hackett spent a couple years with LaFleur that all of a sudden now he's a Shanahan guy. Like everyone who touches anyone even close to Shanahan becomes a Shanahan tree coach. In my opinion, you know, Hackett, in the way that I view him is through his time with the Jacksonville Jaguars. When he was Blake Bortles' offensive coordinator and they went to the uh, AFC Championship and really had a dominant, I wouldn't say dominant, but I would say his idea was running the football, bootlegs, and bombs, <laughs> really. Which, when you look at Russell Wilson, <laughs> where you look at where he came from with Seattle, um, you could say a lot of the similar things. But you could say that there's a good chance that it could fit his skill set to what Nathaniel Hackett wants to do here. Push the football a little bit deeper, potentially play a little more up-tempo to Russ's abilities. I never dropped Russell Wilson in fantasy football this year. It's just too hard because, first off, you know Tom Brady goes, I think, like right around him. And Tom Brady's just so insulated. You know, It's so easy to see Tom Brady having... Just a a higher floor, whereas with Wilson, broke his hand last season. Really, from the time he came back from his hand, you'd probably say he came back too soon and he didn't have grip in his hand and he was trying to play quarterback. It's not going to help. So, did he come back too soon? Or is it that, you know, potentially his, you know, skills are deteriorating? There are truths to the fact that a lot of Pete Carroll's, he can't throw over the middle of the field and pick teams apart, you know pass after pass after pass the way that some of these quarterbacks can. Russ is more of a more willing to turn his back to the defense, but also, you know, is one of those guys that can get away with turning his back to the defense. And he's more of a playmaker, and that's where you saw, like I kind of said with Nathaniel Hackett, he basically said all the offensive coordinators before in Blake Bortles' career, and you know, I'm not comparing him to Blake Bortles, but it is a fair comparison because Hackett worked with both of them, and it'll be a similar scheme in my opinion, because Hackett said all these people want Bortles to do Peyton Manning things. Let's just have him do what he's good at. And that's where he got the best out of Blake Bortles and where, you know, Bortles obviously didn't go anywhere else, but that's where you can get little lightning in a flame with Bortles, but when you have the talent of Wilson and you put him in better positions to win, that's where you can say, Okay, I'll give it to you, Nathaniel Hackett. I'll let you try this out. But like I said, um, the one issue with him in fantasy is rushing. He started to lose his rushing ability with the Seahawks. He's starting to get a little bit older. You're starting to question if he's going to get that back here in Denver when they have goal line running backs and big body receivers who he can use and a big body tight end. So you say maybe some of the passing, but a lot of the rushing ability. So you say as a passer, Tom Brady's much more viable. As a rusher, Trey Lance is somebody, you know, if I'm going to take a shot at a quarterback in that range, I'm going to take the swing for Trey Lance because Trey Lance could win me a league. And Russell Wilson, just at this point in my opinion, is never going to do that. And we get into Josh Johnson and Brett Rippey are the backups, so, you know, they're screwed if, if Russell Wilson goes down with his thumb injury. And that's where there is some margin for error. We get into his offensive line much better than uh, what he had been dealing with. Garrett Bowles, some of it is, um, you know, how much of it is that right before his contract, he started to pick his play up, but you've seen about two kind of consistent years. He's starting to move up the you know left tackle rankings and things like that. There's a new offensive line coach, Mike Munchak, has gone, but still, you trust that Garrett Bowles in his prime since, you know, Dwayne Brown, obviously, Russell Wilson had. But now you get into some of the depth of this offensive line and you see more of the players. Guys like Dalton Risner, a, a very trusted left guard. 
um, Lloyd Cushenberry, Graham Glasgow, two guys who could play center. Um, Glasgow may move to guard with Quinn Minerts. Minerts could play center. Uh, so kind of Cushenberry, Minerts, and Glasgow, all three of them going to compete for you know one interior line spot. And then at right tackle is obvious is their big weak spot, Billy Turner. Um, but really, when you look at compared to offensive lines that Russell Wilson had, you would say that Billy Turner would have been an upgrade for a lot of those other positions. So you say um, a pretty good interior you know, offensive line overall, especially when you think that however they sort out that interior group between, you know, especially Minerts was drafted just last season and, you know, Cushenberry's entering year three. Um, Risner and Bowles, like I kind of said, on that left side is probably their best there. So you get into, like I kind of said, I think it's going to set up the ground game in Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon. A lot of people had Javante Williams like a top five, top ten pick in fantasy. Then Melvin Gordon comes into the fray, and all of a sudden he starts to fall in fantasy. And I'm still to the point where it's typically there's either receivers or it's just a it's hard to be it's been hard to get into Javante Williams, who as a talent is really good. But when you think of a lot of the red zone work Melvin Gordon is going to get. A lot of the pass pro Melvin Gordon is going to get. Melvin Gordon goes back to his days at Wisconsin with Russell Wilson. And one of the reasons he signed a little bit cheaper, he didn't have a market first off, and he already had a house in Denver. But I think you know staying to play with Russell Wilson, all of a sudden that hurts Javante Williams' fantasy value. But really between the one-two punch and between, like I said, however they sort out that interior they can run the football and that can set up some of the deep shots for Russell Wilson and that gets us into the receivers for the most part um Judy's the toughest one to take because everyone compares him to uh you know of the you know comparable receivers from the uh from the Seattle Seahawks, he would be, you know, the quote-unquote Tyler Lockett role. And I think one of the more underrated thoughts of last season was when people started to say, you know, Matthew Stafford was actually more efficient throwing the ball at Golden Tate than he was Calvin Johnson. What was up with that? And when you looked into it, you started to put Cooper Cup into that Golden Tate role and said, maybe Matthew Stafford will be a little more efficient throwing to Cooper Cup than others. So when you use that logic and you say him and Tyler Lockett had that chemistry, perhaps the similar receiver in Tyler Lockett Jerry Judy has that chemistry. You could buy into that. My issue with Judy is that he doesn't take the top off nearly as much. He's more of that quick game timing route runner um, and perhaps getting a little bit more yards after the catch and things like that. I would compare him to kind of a poor man's Deontay Johnson, or if he hit his ceiling, he would be similar to Deontay Johnson. I think Judy's even had some drops, especially dating back to his rookie season, similar to Deontay Johnson. So I would say he's a little lesser version of Deontay Johnson, and I would not say he's in that Tyler Lockett to where Russell Wilson, when the play breaks down, throwing the ball deep and seeing him track the football I don't know if there is anybody on the team like that, and if there is somebody on the team like that, perhaps it's K.J. Hamler and not Jerry Judy. And my opinion is that when you have Tim Patrick on the outside, Cortland Sutton on the outside, who are you putting in the slot is obviously Judy because you're not putting those two big bodies in the slot, especially with Russell Wilson, who's the down uh, sideline downfield attacker. So all of a sudden now Judy's running the routes over the middle of the field in the slot where Russell Wilson is never targeted in his career. Like I said, even when Tyler Lockett was there, at least he would get – it would be broken plays deep from the slot. That's where he would get open. Can Jerry Judy be that player? We haven't seen that yet in his career whether it be injuries, whether it be quarterback play, those two have held him back. But I don't know if, if he's that same player that Tyler Lockett is. And that's where I think the Cooper Cup Golden Tate comparison, you could almost say 
Cup's a better version, whereas Tyler Lockett, I don't think you could say, is a better version. Similarly with Cortland Sutton, you can't say he's a better version of DK Metcalf. He's slower than DK Metcalf. Um, but they do have similar route trees and similar hands and similar um, hit or miss ability in tracking the football, which is what always made Tyler Lockett more of that dynamic player. So I think if there's somebody to buy in uh, fantasy, it is Cortland Sutton. I think there's typically a spot right after uh, – Mike Williams in Keenan Allen in the running back tier, and then there's Michael Pittman. But um, right after that, I think, uh, yeah, it's, uh, some people have Marquise Hollywood Brown in best ball. I think you could get away with Hollywood Brown, but I would feel much more comfortable with um, Cortland Sutton next to Russell Wilson over Hollywood Brown, right below Michael Pittman, because I know Pittman's going to be that breadwinner. And we don't know how pass-happy this team is going to be, and we just don't know how it's going to split. And that's where, at this point, Tim Patrick's actually the value, in some ways, of just taking the cheaper receiver. But they extended him last offseason. They know he's going to be on the field. He blocks so he can get those outside snaps. And then that's where, all of a sudden, like I said, you, you don't really want the slot receiver in the Russell Wilson offense, despite the fact that Tyler Lockett was that, unless you have a Tyler Lockett type talent or similarly to that and that's where like I said unless it's KJ Hamler and maybe you take KJ Hamler in the 20th round I picked him up off a waiver wire in a dynasty league just saying hey if I get a it's a best ball dynasty league if I get here and there splash weeks from KJ Hamler as that number four wide receiver at the price much better than Jerry Judy and at the price Terry Tim Patrick is better than Cortland Sutton so I actually lean to those cheaper guys a little bit more, and then Seth Williams is kind of guy that's out of the picture because they drafted Montreal Washington. They have Tyree Cleveland. Those guys are return game players, so they're gonna. Those guys are gonna win that fifth job over him very easily. Sometimes it's hard to get into the uh, Broncos tight ends. They lose Noah Fant, so it opens up a huge space for Albert O. The issue is that I just don't see Albert O as a as much of a functional athlete as the thing was. He ran that fast forty and has some people tantalized by it. It's a straight line speed thing, and sometimes when you get him on a drag route because he's like six, I think six seven, and he's like two fifty and change. When you get him on a drag route and he has that speed, that's where you can get him going. When you're looking at him to run down the seams, turn his back to, towards the football and catch, make, you know, spot the football in the air and catch the football, he's not as good in those areas. And that's where I think I've said it before, and I guess we're going to talk about it with the Chargers. There's guys like Gerald Everett who go later than guys like. Albert O. And if if they did not draft Greg Dolchich in the third round, I'd be all over Albert O. But probably he would have shot up draft boards too, so I maybe wouldn't have been all over him. But Greg Dolchich, the reality is he's more of the receiver just because Albert O ran the fast 40. He's going to be stuck blocking because Greg Dolchich is going to be the receiver because they can run the play action boot games off of it and Dolchich can slide out to the flats as a move tight end and he can create more yards after the catch. When they get Albert O in those situations, it could be valuable, but because they drafted Dolchich and because this new GM was not there when they drafted Albert O, he was there in 2021, he's here in 2022. They drafted Dulcich, new coaching staff just this season drafted Dulcich even though they, they did lose fans, so they had to replace him, but that just keeps Albert O in the blocking position. Even though Eric Tomlinson is a good blocker, that's still there's just no, it's it's hard to get invested in the fantasy here. And you say it's a good overall offense, but one, how fast are they gonna play? Two, how run heavy are they gonna be? Three, between Javante and Melvin, it's gonna be split. Between their two tight ends, it's gonna be split. Between they have four very capable receivers, it's pretty split. So that's where you do look at this team and you say that they're competitive in some regards. I do look at it and say, uh, it, when you compare them, they're eerily similar to my opinion. Better offensive line for sure, but they're skill players to the Pittsburgh Steelers when you have Jerry Judy, 
a lesser version of Deontay Johnson, Tim Patrick, at this point more established than George Pickens, Cortland Sutton and Clay, uh, Chase Claypool, the big bodies, the athletes, the guys who don't necessarily have the refined skills together, KJ Hamler, Calvin Austin, very similar. Alberto and Dulcich could probably combine to be, you know, Pat Firemuth and Zach Gentry combination, and then obviously Javante and Najee Harris, and they probably have a better backup in Melvin Ingram. So, interesting thought, and that's where Russell Wilson chose the Broncos over the Steelers. They have similar offenses, and the obvious choice was Wilson chose the offensive line. Moving to the defense, and uh, Evero's their new defensive coordinator. Um, don't know much about him. He comes from the Rams. Seems like he's going to try and bring similar stuff to Brandon Staley from what I've been reading at least. Um, potentially a 3-4 defense. We're not 100% sure yet. Look at his interior. Um, for the most part in nickel looks, it'll be DJ Jones and Draymond Jones. They just signed DJ Jones to some big money. He'll get some nose tackle snaps. It allowed them to um, free up some snaps. In uh, Draymond Jones entering what his fourth season now. Um, he's been up and down, but he's really started to ascend. He's been always been a better athlete, and then he started to really start to put it all together into a football player. So when you combine um, some of the depth, uh, a guy like McTelvin, uh, Ajin, and they just drafted a guy in the sixth round, uh, you say that, okay, there's at least enough here, especially with the big name signing in DJ Jones, and then Bradley Chubb has, you know, uh, mainly from the ACL injury, has been trying to, you know, get himself back. But really, injuries derailed, uh, I think, two of his four seasons in the NFL so far, and even one of them was kind of uh, impacted by injuries, so really just one clean season. And they just signed Randy Gregory, who also has been dealing with um, injuries in most of his career, and he kind of just got the money, but then once he got the money, he's uh, I think he had a back injury or something along those lines, uh, and he really hasn't done much in in OTAs and things like that. So um, Malik Reed and Nick Benito, Malik Reed has had to play too much, arguably, the past couple years because of the injuries to guys like Chubb. Um, and they're hoping that if Chubb and Gregory are healthy, the experience of Reed turns him into a valuable third pass rusher. But they drafted Benito with their first pick in the second round here, the best, uh, their highest pick last season in the draft. Uh, and he's going to be a rookie this season. And they're hoping that they can rotate those guys in off the edge and be more versatile. Uh, their interior uh, linebackers here, Josie Jewell. Baron Browning is going to be interesting because – they're saying that he's going to be an edge rusher, but I think for the most part he'll be like an interior guy but used as a blitzer. And then Josie Jewell. But, I mean, these guys, Jonah Griffin, Alex Singleton, I mean, a lot of players that can get exposed in coverage. So it's going to be interesting to see how they mix and match that. But um, one of the better things they do have is that they can get these linebackers off of the field and get their safeties onto the field. Justin Simmons, um, and they think that Caden Stearns is going to take a big step here in his second season, but also sign Kareem Jackson so that they could probably put Stearns or Jackson into the box and get a better coverage man in than one of those linebackers. And that's where, like I said, maybe you put Browning in there as a blitzer, you put one of these guys in as their coverage guy. Um, and then you have Justin Simmons over the top as your defensive player. And then one of the best parts of this defense is their secondary. Uh, they talked about how they passed over Justin Fields for Patrick Sertain because they couldn't avoid the secondary depth. And it turns out that you know Kyle Fuller didn't play very well last season, and they really needed Patrick Sertain last season as a rookie. He was excellent as a rookie last season. He's already becoming you know potentially a top ten cornerback in the NFL. You have Darby across from them. They just signed Kwan Williams from the San Francisco 49ers. Really good blitzer, really good run defender, obviously good slot corner. And they just drafted uh, Mathis from Pitt. They have Ojemudier from Iowa. So they have the depth in their secondary room. 
to where um, they, that's what they talk about is uh, that they really need, want to cycle those cornerbacks, but be able to have somebody like Pat Sertain who can follow you around, and then they have the depth to kind of circumvent that. So their defense, like I kind of said, their linebackers are questionable, but their safeties are good enough. You're really projecting health with Randy Gregory and uh, Bradley Chubb, but for the most part, a pretty good defense when you add in Russell Wilson, when you add in that they have a pretty overall complementary offensive team. Um, I have them for 11 wins right now. I think that's uh, slightly – their win total's 10. I wouldn't go over because I could see them in that 10 or 11 range. Uh, but, yeah, like I said, I have the Chiefs right around 10 wins. I have the Broncos right around 11 wins, so right within each other. And another team that should be taking a potential big step forward here and should be in that 10 or 11 win mark, the Los Angeles Chargers just missed the playoffs last season did a lot of regrouping this offseason. It was the first season of Brandon Staley, the second season of Justin Herbert. You assume the second season with this head coach where he's able to start to bring all his guys in, start to get his philosophy installed. In the third season of Herbert, you saw um, images of him this offseason, looks really jacked. And like I kind of said, I think there's probably a big five quarterbacks with uh, – Lamar Jackson, uh, Josh Allen, Kyler Murray, but then Mahomes and Herbert are kind of the two that don't add as much rushing value as those three. So you could argue those three ahead of these two. But like I said, I think it's easy to decide between Mahomes and Josh Herbert or Justin Herbert because if you get Keenan Allen or Mike Williams beforehand, it's easier to stack. And if you don't, it's easier to stack the Chiefs later. So you that basically breaks the ties. And I think Justin Herbert could be in for a big, I mean, obviously he's in for a big-time season, potentially MVP-type season. You look to their offensive line, they only really have one weakness. Um, Rashawn Slater was a stud at left tackle, was all-pro candidate, everything like that, um, heading into his second NFL season. Corey Lindsley was their center. They signed to a big contract. He's you know taking a big step. It's going to be his second season with Justin Herbert, so you can only assume that the communication and stuff is going to get better. Matt Filer, a rookie or a signing from um, Pittsburgh, he's in his uh, second season with the Chargers in this offensive line. He's locked into the left guard spot. The, the rookie is Zion Johnson from Boston College. Thought that that was the best pick they could have made right there. Really one of the safest picks in the NFL draft. Maybe not a player who's going to win all pros or anything like that but you just think a player that you know solid handwork solid base solid build solid strength ability to get off the football ability to get into the second level just a good overall player and then you look into um their big question is going to be their right tackle spot where right now it's a battle between storm norton and foster Sarrell, which is i mean it's bad and um they have two guys who potentially could step in there. Um, Brendan Jameis uh, from uh, Nebraska. It's his second NFL season. He was a tackle at Nebraska, but a lot of people thought because of his length should slide inside. But he has the footwork to where he may be their best tackle. And Jamari Sawyer, a sixth-round pick from Georgia, I thought he was going to go much higher. I think some of it had to do with his medical question marks but um and also the fact was that he played left tackle at Georgia but everybody assumed that he was too slow-footed and would have to step into uh, guard in the NFL uh, and they also have Trey Pipkins but I, I there it's a huge weakness in their whole entire offensive line and really their whole entire offense because you start to dig into the rest of this offense and you can't find many weaknesses other than like I said, you could argue that four different guys should be their starting right tackle, and you should argue that none of them should be their starting right tackle at the same exact time. So Austin Eckler, um, a player that um, I think it's tough to take him in fantasy. He, he tends to go too high for me. 
um, mainly because I think he's going to be more efficient than Najee Harris. He's going to catch more footballs than Najee Harris, but Najee's going to get much more work, and he's going to get the goal line work. So those two are like a toss-up to me, but I typically would take Dalvin Cook over both of them, and I think if Dalvin Cook is going to catch more passes and be in a more efficient offense this off this season, we're going to talk about that in the NFC North preview. I think that's where I would take him over Austin Eckler, but I think he's right there in terms of, uh, I think it's really Jonathan Taylor, then CMC, then Dalvin Cook. Then you could argue between Najee Harris and Austin Eckler, in my opinion, and then you get into, like I said, I push Derrick Henry further down than some people, but either way, that's where I put Eckler. And you look at Isaiah Spiller and say, could he be the one that takes the goal line work? It's tough to say because that has that wasn't necessarily his forte. He's not a big power back. He has enough good uh, good enough vision to where you could say he could take that role. But um, they just drafted Larry Roundtree the year before. They have Joshua Kelly on here. They've all been bust, but I mean they're between Spiller, Kelly, and Roundtree. They're all just going to take the short yardage downs, some of the pass protection work, some of the goal line snaps, kind of just enough to where, like I said, Najee just doesn't lose those snaps, whereas Austin Eckler does. And you could argue that Austin Eckler is going to catch more passes and be in a better offense than Najee. And that's where I think those two are a, a, a toss-up. But um, those are just some of the questions. And that's where I know some people take Isaiah Spiller and you know the thought is, hey, between Joshua Kelly and Roundtree, if Eckler goes down, Spiller's going to be the one to catch passes, and Spiller's going to be the one they used in almost all regards. I just wasn't such a fan of Spiller coming out of the draft. I compared him to Wayne Gallman, um, a player who's you know kind of been a, a depth player, kind of in a similar role to what you would expect Spiller in this offseason, you know, a backup type of role. So it's hard to get too invested in that. You go into the wide receivers, and this is the one year I think it's literally going to be the you know the slowly crossing of each other because I have Mike Williams one spot ahead of. Keenan Allen in my rankings right now just thinking that the age where they both are in their kind of careers they just extended Mike Williams Keenan Allen is kind of coming towards that the good thing with Keenan Allen is he's going to age gracefully because he's not one of those guys who wins with elite athleticism he wins because he's savvy because he understands route concepts because he can get open and things like that but with the play of Herbert and with the Herbert pushes the football down the field a lot, and Keenan Allen is more of that, you know, quick passing safety blanket. As the aging Rivers was getting, you know, more less mobile, he was just able to pinpoint and target and target and target. Whereas now, when Herbert extends plays, rolls out, throws deep, there's Mike Williams making the acrobatic catches, Mike Williams making the field flipping plays, Mike Williams making the touchdown plays. Potentially, as those targets start to get closer and closer, and the yards per target start to get further and further away, you start to see Mike Williams becoming more valuable than Keenan Allen. Although, like I said, it's only one spot in my rankings, and I think it's it's that close. You get into the question of who their third wide receiver is going to be. Um, for the most part, it should be Josh Palmer. You know, they're twenty-one third-round pick. He got on the field enough as a rookie. It wasn't all the way you know, into that role. And there's a question of, is Palmer going to be on the outside? He's always kind of been looked at as that depth slot guy behind Keenan Allen, and that's the role he typically had. And then Jalen Guyton is the outside guy. Put Guyton and Williams on the outside because Williams is the big body. Jalen Guyton is the speed receiver, and then he adds the respect element to where now that opens things up for Keenan Allen. Is Can Josh Palmer create the same respect that Keenan Allen can? I think the fact that they put a third-round pick into him and he produced enough in his 
uh, rookie season shows that he's going to be that third receiver and the fact that Jalen Guyton is their best competition and they didn't bring anybody else to compete with him. I start to get excited about what he can be as that third receiver because you start to look at this team that, yes, they have Austin Eckler, but is going to veer more past happy because of their head coaching style, because of uh, who they're going to play against, and because of what they have with Justin Herbert here, and because of what they have in Austin Eckler. And they, like I keep saying, they don't have that um, between the tackles grinder. You know, they don't have a Melvin Gordon type of player, they don't have anything like that. So, even like I said, Isaiah Spiller could be that, but he's even a little bit slighter too. So between all that, I think there's going to be enough targets for Joshua Palmer. And that's where I also said there's going to be enough targets for Gerald Everett. They're talking about using him, um, you know, similarly to Johnny Smith, kind of where we can put him in the backfield, we can put him in motion, we can run jet sweeps with him. He's that athletic. I think if he can, as long as he can split the seams down the middle of the field and he can create enough of that attention to where, but then, like I said, when the linebackers start to creep up on Keenan Allen because Keenan Allen's doing his thing, who's going to be sitting there in the seat, in the spot right over Keenan Allen when the linebackers creep up is Gerald Everett. And if he can take yards after the catch. And that's where, like I kind of talked about, um, some of these other, you know, late tight ends that you want to get excited about, it's hard to get excited about any of them when it's so easy to look at this offense and say, if this offense takes a step forward, the beneficiaries are going to be Josh Palmer and Gerald Everett. And it's hard to see, like I said, you know, perhaps Mike Williams and Keenan Allen flip, perhaps Eckler gets a similar season to last season. There's still room. If we get that higher degree offense, there's still room for Gerald Everett and for Josh Palmer to be values in this offense. Now this is the part where we talk about whether the Chargers could win the Super Bowl or not. And then you say that the biggest thing that kept them out of the playoffs last season was the Raiders. I mean, not just the Raiders, but the, it was truly the crux of the season. It was Sunday night football with the playoffs on the line. A lot of teams did this to them, but um, the Raiders got the football, ran the football, ran the football, ran the football, got in the field goal range, kicked a game-winning field goal, and the game's over and the Raiders win. Um, there was a lot more other stuff going on in that game, but that was the biggest thing was that, and they were wondering, you know, Staley going to call timeout? Is he going to let the Raiders get the first down? He couldn't stop them with his run defense. Um, their run defense was a huge issue last season. He's always been, oh, the analytics say just give up the run and, uh, and just defend the pass and you'll be fine. But when you start to give up huge clips in the running game, you realize you have to pay some attention to your run defense and it's beautiful what what Staley did. He noted a huge issue in their run defense, and he signs Sebastian Joseph Day and Austin Johnson to their interior defensive line. Two guys that not many people know about, but everybody who knows run defense knows about both of them. Johnson, uh, drafted by the Titans, then spent some time in the New York Giants, really was depth behind Dexter Lawrence, but they were a great run defense, and he's a huge plugger in the middle. Sebastian Joseph Day was the guy who just goes by, beside Aaron Donald, and he can take up the blockers and allows Aaron Donald to just run free and everything like that. So you add a huge plugger with him in the middle. You add him. Uh, they sign uh, Morgan Cox, another interior run defender, and they draft a Tito Ogbenano, whatever, from UCLA. Really, actually, though, I enjoyed his run defense as well. So you say they basically redid their interior defensive line overnight. You think Jerry Tillery was getting way too many snaps, and he may get cut this offseason. And you combine Joseph Day, Austin Johnson, a Tito the rookie, and uh, Morgan Fox, the other signing, and you say they signed four huge run stuffers to the interior defensive line. Really great job. Beyond that, Khalil Mack, 
potentially has taken a step back as a pass rusher, but is equally as good as a run defender. And what he can do is stick up to any double team whatsoever to where now if you double team Khalil Mack and you're probably going to want to double team Khalil Mack, now all of a sudden Joey Bosa is probably going to have the best pass rushing season of his career. Robert Quinn was on the opposite side of Khalil Mack last season and was just destroying one-on-ones. If they go one-on-one against Khalil Mack, it'll be the first time he's seen that in three years. And either way, he's going to set the edge. So when you add in Joseph Day, Austin Johnson, and Mack, you're done. You know, you're, you just improve the run game from one of the worst to one of the best overnight, potentially. And then you have Joey Bosa being able to run free. Kenneth Murray's been basically a bust. They traded up for him. Um, old coaching staff did. But if they can use him as a run stuffer <laughs> right off the middle and they just signed uh, Kyle Van Noy, if they can teach him to play that Kyle Van Noy role as a Sam linebacker to where he's more of a blitzer than anything – But because he's versatile and he's athletic enough, he can be a chess piece. If they can use him similarly to Kyle Van Noy, all of a sudden he could be pretty valuable and it could improve their run defense. Then you do look, their other weak spot is probably the rest of this linebacker crew. Uh, Troy Reeder and Drew Tranquil are more of their coverage guys than Kenneth Murray because Murray was getting exposed. And then, like I said, Kyle Van Noy, those two are probably more of the blitzers. So, I mean... Staley's all about he's going to mix and match. He's going to throw different looks at you. He's going to stand up guys. You know, he's going to run at light boxes and things like that. So, um, and the other thing is that I think he's going to get Derwin James and he wants him to be a linebacker. So you put Kenneth Murray at linebacker and you have him blitz and you put Derwin James as linebacker and you have him be the coverage guy. They could potentially do that if JT Woods, the guy they drafted in the third round, he plays deep. And then Natterly kind of plays that robber role in the middle. Or those two, JT Woods and Nazir Adderley, play uh, a too high shell. Then they drop Derwin James into the box. And then they don't need the linebacker depth. I would say the linebacker depth is their issue. Especially because I don't trust JT Woods as a third-round rookie. And Nazir Adderley has been pretty good, especially last season. I think he took steps forward. But either way, I'm not the biggest fan of Nazir Adderley. But with Derwin James being a superstar in the making, and they're going to put him in the slot, in that Jalen Ramsey role in the box as well. Um, I think he could have a huge season. And then they added J.C. Jackson uh, from New England, a huge spend. When you have him on one side, you have Asante Samuel on the other, and you have Bryce Callahan, who is a slot cornerback. Um, They also have Michael Davis, who's a long-armed cornerback because J.C. and Asante are kind of shorter and smaller, but those two have the real quick feet. They're obviously – you know, really cerebral cornerbacks. Uh, they're going to play that zone cover two. They're going to, you know, drop and they're going to show and they're going to do different looks and things like that. And it's all going to be in the secondary because Staley, for the most part, is, you know, going to rush four and he's going to mix up looks in the back end, you know, like I said, with Derwin starting up high and dropping into the box and those corners showing cover two and then dropping into cover three and things like that. Then it's going to mix it up. And I mean, yeah, you say second round pick Samuel entering his second off, second season. They just signed J.C. Jackson to reinvent the secondary. They signed Bryce Callahan. His biggest issue has been injuries. Um, Mack, Sebastian Joseph Day, Austin Johnson, the run defense is going to improve. If that was the biggest issue that they had last season and you can take that step forward on offense with a third-year Justin Herbert, this is a team I have them uh, – like I said, I mean it's crazy that I have uh, – what's it called? Denver winning 11 games, Kansas City winning 10, and I have them on 11.6. So uh, – I have them going over their 10-win total. I have them winning the AFC West, and I have them 
being a potential Super Bowl team with the Mac Bosa combination and their ability to go light in the box with guys like Joseph Day and Austin Johnson is really good. And lastly, the forgotten about team and you know one of the most ridiculous storylines of the offseason was when uh, Russell Wilson goes to Denver and everyone's saying, oh my gosh, the Chargers are taking a step and Russell Wilson goes to Denver and the Chiefs, the Raiders might as well just give up. And it's like, that's crazy talk because... Last season, the Raiders were in Cincinnati, first and goal in the red zone to beat them in a playoff game at the two-minute warning about, a little bit under. They were in, So you beat Cincinnati, who knows how far you're going. You know, Due to the, the real chokes that Tennessee and uh, Kansas City had, either way, however Cincinnati got by, if the Raiders win that and they're the hot team, and Derek Carr finally gets over that hump of a playoff game, and then you add in, what did this— what? this team go through last season with Henry Ruggs, with John Gruden, with all of the other, you know, questions and Darren Waller's injury. You know, you lose your head coach and you lose a player who killed a guy, you know, in a DUI and things like that. And you're still in Cincinnati with a chance to win the game on, you know, your final drive of the season. A team that went to the Super Bowl, nobody on that whole entire organization is going to give up. You look at it from the other side and say, this is a team that won a lot of one-score games last season, although they were going through some things, and you say, oh, those shouldn't have even been one-score games. You say that if those flip the other side, this is a team taking a step back, and now they have a new coach in Josh McDaniels. Um, everyone, you know, it's tough to say about Josh McDaniels because he was obviously a failure in Denver, but he was the guy that went in on Tebow, and he was, um, you know, he turned his back on the Indianapolis Colts, but you, the very next offseason... Andrew Luck retires, and you wonder how much he knew about that beforehand. So you do look at it and you say, potentially we give McDaniels the slack. And McDaniels seems to be, you know, he set up a great system for Mac Jones. He's done it with Tom Brady. He wants to put Derek Carr in this situation and thinks that um, Derek Carr can win. And the way Derek Carr was playing last season was of a top 10 quarterback. It was the best football of his career. And if he can get back to his level of last season with a better coaching staff with some more talent around him, there's no doubt that they're going to be a team that takes a step forward this season. It's just the question of, you know, where is, are they going to take that step forward? Or is Carr going to really be that player? And is McDaniels really the coach, you know, that, that could be that guy? Josh Jacobs, I don't really take him in fantasy. Mainly, uh, they declined his option. They just drafted Zamir White in the fourth round. I know it's a fourth round pick, but Jacobs wasn't catching passes as is, was going to probably be in a committee as is. And when you look at McDaniels' history in, in the, uh, the New England Patriots, He's going to run a running back by committee. It's shown none other by the fact that he signed Brandon Bolden, who's always been an authority in fantasy owner sides because sometimes he'll get goal line work, sometimes he'll catch passes, and it just takes away from other guys. So um, Zamir White is almost looking like the LeGarrette Blunt of the group, uh, and Brandon Bolden's playing the Brandon Bolden, Kenyon Drake's playing the James White, and then Josh Jakes was playing you know, the insert running back here type of thought that they're just going to mix and you know rotate all these guys in those different varieties and things like that. So it's really hard to get invested in any of them other than, like I said, potentially Zamir White getting more goal line work. Look into the tight ends. Uh, Darren Waller, the one issue with Darren Waller is that he lost a lot of his career uh, due to the alcoholism in Baltimore and all of that, and now he's older. He's almost the same age as uh, Travis Kelsey. He's about 30 years old, and you're wondering if, you know, how he's going to start to peak or, you know, things like that. And then you say Foster Moreau, a really good blocker. I think they're going to go 12 personnel. 
Obviously, McDaniels loved to do that with the New England Patriots when they had Gronk and Hernandez. Uh, you'd say that he Moreau would technically the quote unquote Gronk, and he you know Waller would be the move guy that you can split down the seams and things like that. So potentially could be a boost in stock for Foster Moreau more than it even is a boost in stock in Darren Waller. And then you look in the obvious receiver room, you say. Devontae Adams is obviously going to take away from Hunter Renfro, and Hunter Renfro was the top receiver last season because of what happened to Henry Ruggs. But Derek Carr loves Hunter Renfro. He's quick in the underneath and things like that, um, gets wide open, and Derek Carr has always been one that he wants to see you open before he's going to throw it to you, and that's why he was never really – there's some receivers he just can't get on the same page with. Um, but Hunter Renfro, because he's always typically – he can create separation quickly. He's always that kind of safety valve for Carve, and Carve loves a good safety valve. So I don't think Hunter Renfro is going to lose too much production due to the adding of Devontae Adams. I think Adams is going to take away from Waller some, and that's where I put Waller right in that like the Kittle range, and I could argue Kittle going over Waller this season. But the other thing is between Devontae Adams and Hunter Renfro is there's really no depth here at wide receiver, and that's how you know they're going to go two tight ends because you know Moreau and Waller, Adams and Renfro, and then a running back are their best, you know, or a, a fullback even instead of tight end is their best bets because Demarcus Robinson uh, hasn't, you know, he's a field stretcher, but hasn't really been able to, you know, make noise with Patrick Mahomes. Mac Hollins is a special teams guy. Keelan Cole is probably a solid, I think he could start over Demarcus Robinson, but really, you know, another kind of field stretcher type player. That you add that because Adams isn't a field stretcher, Hunter Renfro isn't a field stretcher. You have to add some sort of speed element, or things really start to get condensed. But um, and yeah, the thing with Adams is that you know I don't think he's going to get the targets overall because Renfro is going to be a bailout guy because Waller is going to be an over the middle guy. Um, obviously, Carr and him you know go back, they're friends and all of that. It's going to be interesting to see how the offense fits. I just don't think this offense that McDaniel's runs is going to go through one guy, and that's where um, I think I have him sixth. Because, you know, Chase, uh, Jefferson, Cooper Cup are going to be ahead of him for sure. Stefan Diggs, because the offense is going to go through him much more than Adams. And then I think even Lamb I have, because of just the target difference, is going to go ahead of Devontae Adams. That's where I haven't drafted Devontae Adams much this offseason. But I really like what they're going to do, especially if they're going to go heavy with Moreau, staying in line, giving them help as a blocker, making them be more depth personnel-wise. And then they can basically have two big guys with Waller and Adams and then let uh, Hunter Renfrew run the slot. Onto the offensive line, and arguably the reason that I was going to go in on the Raiders and think that they could be taking that step with a better coach, you know, just more continuity or more consistency overall but um just questionable offensive line haven't done enough to their offensive line that I can really bet on them yet Colton Miller a left tackle you kind of trust him uh just got paid big contract um he's kind of taken that step towards he's pretty good the rest of it is just so questionable to me um wondering who they're going to start here and there Alex Leatherwood was a first round pick last season a lot of people thought he was overdrafted for a a tackle because they think he's better off at guard. They haven't decided where he's going to play yet. Some people are thinking he's going to be in at right tackle. Um, you know, that could be a miss there. John Simpson, Denzel Good, potential guards. I think they're going to, you know, eventually get thrown out here by Dylan Parham, a guard. But you wonder if he's going to play center. They just paid Andre James, but that was the last regime. All this, you know, their interior, especially between Andre James, Denzel Good, John Simpson, Dylan Parham, a rookie. You know, Alex Barr is a UDFA. It's all just a mess right there, and that's where you could say that you know Carr in the offense and the running game it could be 
you know, they could just get by with it. But there's enough questions here when you have an AFC West that's going to tear each other apart to where I think more than just, you know, everyone says, oh, you know, Herbert and uh, Allen or Herbert and Wilson and Mahomes, you know, cars the odd man out. It's almost easier to say, you know, the Chargers have a big hole at right tackle. Um, the Broncos, you know, offensive line is pretty stable overall. The Chiefs offensive line is stable overall. And the Raiders offensive line is, you know, by far the worst one. Onto the defense, and one of the things that I really like about the uh, Raiders is they added Patrick Graham. He was with the Giants the last couple seasons, almost, you know, won games for the Giants. Thought he should have been a head coaching candidate. You know, he's one of the minorities where all the media is freaking out about the enemy when this guy should probably be a head coach, uh, Patrick Graham. So you like that, and you like that, um, obviously, the addition of Chandler Jones to Max Crosby. I think the addition of Jones could help Max Crosby more than it even helps Chandler Jones. The one thing you'll say about Jones is he's starting to get a little bit older. Um, I think he had five sacks in week one, and then he had like uh, less than 10 the rest of the season. So, um, you know, kind of ran hot and cold, not as great of a run defender. But I think, like I said, he's going to open up. Crosby hasn't seen, you know, this much, this good of an edge rusher across from him to where now there's going to be attention away from Crosby. He's never seen that in his career. Um, and then Cleland Farrell, honestly, if he was a second-round pick, he wouldn't be looked at as so bad. But um, he's kind of just an inside-outside interior, you know, run defender. And then Kyler Fackrell kind of completes the depth there. But the interior defensive line, you got Vernon Butler, Bilal Nichols, um, Matthew Butler, and Neil Farrell. Butler and Farrell are two rookies, two SEC guys, two kind of nose tackleish players. Um, Bilal Nichols, I thought they got a good steal for a three technique um, from the Chicago Bears. He's not, you know high-end starter, but between the depth behind him, between Jonathan Hankins at the nose, and between Vernon Butler being able to play the one and the nose in that interior, can kind of let Bilal Nichols be that pass rusher in the three technique, so it could be pretty good. And then um, you look at their linebackers, they probably improve here. Uh, Jayon Brown they just got from Tennessee, he's probably pretty good, uh, but Denzel Perriman's getting older, and uh, Really, yeah, the rest of it, I mean, Kenny Young's bounced around. Divine Diablo's a safety almost that really doesn't have the physicality to play in the box. So you think Patrick Graham can get the most out of this group, but it's kind of as you start to get slowly back into the secondary, you know, they traded uh, Ngakwe for Rakia Sin. It makes sense because of the scheme change because they're clearing space for Chandler Jones, and they're able to get Rakia Sin on the cheap, but the Colts kind of moved on from Rakia Sin, one, because they could get Stephon Gilmore, but then two, he's grabby. He can get beat down the sidelines. Um, Trayvon Mullins, obviously, their number one corner. So um, it helps that Rockison, you know, isn't being counted on as that high-end corner. But I think he could be an issue. Nate Hobbs, I think, uh, I think he had a DUI and he got over, or he had a, he had something uh, arrest-wise last season that hopefully he's getting over. Um, but then, yeah, you look at their safety group, uh, Abram. Overrated, you know, terrible in coverage. Basically, a poor man's Jamal Adams. Trevon Morig could be taking a step forward as a real um, over-the-top player, free safety, can cover a lot of ground, can make a lot of tackles, could be versatile. But between Abram, between some of their coverage issues at linebacker, between, like I said, Chandler Jones, maybe a little bit hyped, um, and really between just the fact that the other teams in this division are so high, uh, and I actually have them. I think it nine wins when they're over under is eight and a half so I'm talking so bad on the Raiders but um you don't have to necessarily so 
Um, like I said, I have them around nine wins. That potentially is going to be fourth place. And that's, um, I think as we're going to get to the NFC West, it's going to be interesting because the NFC West plays the AFC West. And with the AFC West having these kind of records, perhaps there is a setback for the NFC West that, um, like I said, I have the Chargers winning close to 12, Denver winning around 11, Kansas City around 10, and the Raiders around 9.